Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Betty's.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel, and we are fresh off our trip to Venezia, where there was a haunting this weekend. When I hear the title, A Haunting in Venice, I immediately think, oh, we'll be discussing how Joker won the Venice Film Festival that one year, and we all just accepted it. No, it's actually the new Poirot mystery with Kenneth Branagh, which you did see this weekend, correct? Uh, You know what? I didn't get to finish the movie. I was kicked out of the theater. um, Go on. For jerking off Lauren Boebert. Okay. You know? That happens in theaters, yes. If you've ever heard the song, You Oughta Know, a lot of things go down in theaters, and she is one of them. You know what? She realized family-friendly, Beetlejuice showing, you know what? Maybe I should go to a dark theater, the AMC 19. Right, right, right. um, In Manhattan. And she was like, you know what? Maybe if you finger me, no one will see it. Oh, I see. Mm. They heard, okay? The screams weren't just coming from the people being haunted in Venice. I see. And we were asked to leave. That really was just a bone-chilling story. I don't... To go on Twitter and see the word fingered. I mean, it just... <laughs> you see jerking it. Yeah, jerking it. And then you're oh. looking at her. What What's funny, too, is Twitter, X, whatever you have it now, right, is such a... It's such a dystopian I am legend space right now that Mm -hmm. I don't even think I get the regular news that I used to get from it anymore. So I heard about it as a friend like made a joke about Lauren Boebert this weekend. And I was like, what are you talking about? It feels like, like, yeah. Oh, you haven't seen this? It feels like in order for a news story to really hit everywhere on Twitter, it has to be the one story everyone agrees to talk about. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. if, I, if I'm looking at like the trending topics and there's like seven things, I'll click on them and still not know why they are listed there. Whereas this, I immediately saw the footage. I immediately realized, okay, I've already seen too much. I <laughs> need to, I guess, just not go to the theater ever. Um, I hope that production of Beetlejuice at least responded, thank you for supporting live theater. I hope they did that. <laughs> I'm worried that someone off-Broadway is already 
planning to duplicate this for some press. Jeremy O'Harris, do not do it. Uh, <laughs> there's a profile of him in The New Yorker today, which I have not yet read. It's it's very interesting for a New Yorker profile. I liked it. I liked it. Uh, I knew most of the things that were in it since I'm friends with Jeremy. Uh, but it was one of the nicest, most flowery, um, beautiful profiles I've read of someone in quite some time. And also... The, the interviewer followed him around for three years, and I was like, I didn't know journalism still had that much money. Yeah, Jesus Christ. What is this? Like the movie Reds? My God. <laughs> <laughs> to the Kremlin. What's going on over at the New Yorker? Yeah. Okay, because I need to get out in that budget. <laughs> Who would you follow for three years? Oh, my God. Well, technically, I probably have followed some people for three years. Uh <laughs> I mean, there's just not that much to know about anybody. It's crazy to follow anybody for three years. I mean, I would like to know what was up, honestly, with Madonna over the past few years because there have been so many strange mm. stories about her. But I actually feel bad bringing up that name on this podcast. I feel like I'm constantly turning Keep It into just a Madonna fanzine. So I'll not even explore that. How about you? <laughs> a Haunting in Lisbon yes. by Lewis. <laughs> Medellin, <laughs> yes. Who would I... I, I mean, it, it seems a little obvious to say... Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. But, right, well, because um, we never really know what's up with her. So I think that's a good we, answer. We don't, and yet, she's always around. Yeah. She is one of the most comfortable with being in public celebrities that I feel like we know of because she has her kids, right? And you're always hearing about how she would just, like, pop up at a bake sale in L.A. with her kids. Or someone, a friend of mine recently was like... um, they just passed by her uh, in Soho. Oh, just and getting she's, some coffee. And she's still friends with Johnny Lee Miller, her first husband. Mm. Like they were spotted together at some point. That's a cute little relationship. I would like them to get back together. I was reading an old um, Rolling Stone profile of Angelina Jolie. I was I was reading like a few of them, and it was it was also very interesting reading these profiles and seeing one. The way we used to write about women, obviously. Oh, right. But, you know, they were, they were very focused on, like, uh, like the Billy Bob Thornton era one was very focused on the fact that it was done in her bedroom where, you know, they just finished having sex. Oh, good and, Lord. Know, like, the blood was hot. The, the sign, um, like, together forever, always forever, whatever, was in blood over her bed. Um, that weird era of Angelina Jolie was fun. But it was... She is one of the few celebrities where each subsequent profile, like she was with a different man or single. So she was in drastically different points in her life Mm. when she was being interviewed um, for these magazine profiles, which is very rare. Because I feel like even most celebrities through like a divorce or something nowadays or even in the past pretty much would stay the same. Right, you know, right, maybe right. not a Madonna or something, but they pretty much stay the same. It feels like she had different eras, like every two years. Yes, definitely. Well, I mean, and I think that's apparent in her movies too. Just the the, yeah. the size of movies she would take, the the genres she would get into. It. You know, a movie we did not bring up uh, when we were discussing her last week that I guess is one of her definitive movies, Wanted. Mm, I love Wanted. That's those a curving fun ass one. bullets. I rem- I remember believing in James McAvoy. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> but with you was with Johnny, you know, it was interesting that she noted that they were together and then they broke up before before they were married. She was together with him and then they broke up mm. and that's when she had her lesbian era. Uh, and yes. then they got married after that. 
but then still stayed friends after that too. So they've been through some breakups and getting together. And I'm always very fond of people recircling back in life to um, a partner that they were with years ago. Oh, no. I mean, like the the Ben and J-Lo thing is spiritually satisfying. I say this not as like a mega fan of either of them. There's just something that is amazing about it. Also, do you think she was scared off women for good? Because I assume that was when she made the movie Gia. And that's when I assume she worked with Faye Dunaway. And I think that's probably when she said, I actually never need to meet a woman again. Uh, <laughs> I want to know Angelina's Faye Dunaway trauma. That's what I want to know. I don't think we ever you got that story. With, <laughs> Angelina Jolie really wants to work with female directors, but she hates women. Um, <laughs> thanks to Faye Dunaway. Yeah. So she says, I will be the female director. Yes. First they killed my love of women is the name of the movie. Yes. <laughs> Actually, First They Killed I My Father is a movie she made, right? Okay, yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I would follow Faye Dunaway around. I wish they'd kill her father. Oh, my God. And also, it's like, <laughs> where, where will that take you? One time I saw Faye Dunaway in West Hollywood, and I just, you know, a, a chill ran up, I think, my spine and the whole city's spine um, right at once. Someone follow her around, but they did a good constitution for, for that. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about Faye Dunaway recently. Because there was their interview with Jane Fonda. There was always the joke, you know, like um, Jane Fonda wouldn't take a movie, you know, because then like the second choice or something would be um, Faye Dunaway. Right. They competed for roles for a long time. Yes. Jane always says she wishes she had gotten Bonnie and Clyde, for example. Yes. Yes. But I believe that she had said something about either like network or something that like she was never like considered for that Mm. at all seriously. So it wasn't like Faye Dunaway was the second choice when it was written for Jane. Oh, okay. Oh, got it. I might be thinking of the wrong movie. But yeah. she was defending. She was defending Faye Dunaway's honor. Oh, I see. They in that play about Sue Mangers, the the rabid Hollywood agent, where um, that, that she was responding to that. Yes, because in that play, that character talks about how both of them were up for Chinatown, and eventually Faye okay. Dunaway got it. Yes, Chinatown. Chinatown. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jane in Chinatown would have been good. Yeah, though that character really requires not just mystique, but something like actually unhinged and let me tell you those are the two Mm. things Faye Dunaway has so that's fair and you know what as much as young Jane Fonda was sexy I think she was more sweet and sort of cute almost girl next door woman next door before the Hanoi Jane stuff so I don't think that she had that sort of like raw nasty sexuality that um Faye Dunaway hat. Yeah, even when she's in like Clute, it's like this um, hyper articulate, um, you know, kind of like a Ivy, Ivy League girl or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Faye Dunaway went to a community school. Okay? <laughs> and the community should be jail if you know what she's done. <laughs> okay. So this movie. Oh, yes. A Haunting a in haunting Venice. Haunting in Venice. You know what? I like the hell out of this movie. First of all, I really liked it. Second of all, definitely most improved uh, Kenneth Branagh. I mean, if we're going off the, <laughs> uh, Murder on the Orient Express, I hated. Death on the Nile, I thought was like a little bit better. But also, unlike those two movies, this one is less obsessed with one seeming lavish. Because, both, mm. by the way, both those movies, even though they're very expensive, look cheap. And then secondly, <laughs> they're like their primary objective is to like give two minutes apiece to all of the ensemble famous actors and then they all add up to nothing and just mm. you know Poirot solves it and we move on with our lives 
This one, it gets to just be a spooky, fun, kind of Scooby-Doo style mystery. And then, although there are famous actors in it, nobody, you don't feel like anybody is like gunning for, um, you know, caricature of the year in this, in this movie. It just gets to be a fun little mystery with a lot of thunder and stuff. Well, so Tina Fey. <laughs> Here's the thing about Tina Fey in this movie. I'm not going to call it a brilliant performance, but I liked it in a high school acting way. You know, the <laughs> accent that comes and goes, but she's like super game for it. I did have a question about that role. Do you think you wanted Phoebe Waller-Bridge and she couldn't do it? I could definitely see that. Doesn't that seem right? Yeah, because because Tina Fey just seems very like American. Sort of out, it just seems very American, sort of out there. Honestly, the Tina Fey element of it kept making me think whenever I would see commercials for it. I kept thinking it was the commercial for a Haunted Mansion because I would think that Tina Fey would be in Haunted Mansion. Yes. Is she in Haunted Mansion? No, I don't believe so. Okay. But it, she seems more ripe to be in Haunted Mansion than she would be in a Kenneth Branagh, Agatha Christie adaptation. Right. You know? Right, where she's playing a, a sort of exotic, um, you know, period piece woman, whereas everything about Tina Fey belongs to the 21st century. Yes, yes. I kept, I kept expecting her to make jokes about cheese yeah. or about her iPad. Yeah. Uh, but Google, Google Maps took forever to get me to your place in Venetia. <laughs> but um, otherwise, I thought all the actors were perfectly cast. And they were very much actors who were falling into their roles and not having sort of a big... Um, and a champagne to yeah. fill the Nile <laughs> moment, like Gal Gadot, which you put Gal Gadot in your movie, and then you keep her alive that fucking long when we're just waiting for her death to happen so the story could get started. That really put a hamper on Death on the Nile. Yes, you know? definitely. Well, also, the original uh, adaptation of Death on the Nile in the 70s, while lots of fun performances in it, so overlong. They could have cut down that yeah. movie and this movie so much. The actor who really vanished in this role for me was Jamie Dornan. I just feel like Jamie Dornan has been so... He was so associated with those fucking uh, Fifty Shades movies that it was nice to see him disappear into something else. Like, he, he felt like an actor again in the way that he'd felt when he did The Fall. Yes, which we, of course, love. Yes. Yeah, and then those three movies just sort of, like, made him feel like, who are you? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah, we'd not never important. see him again. Correct. Maybe. Right. Uh, and this reminded me that he's a really good actor. Also, of course, Michelle Yeoh is in this movie. She gets the most to do <sighs> in a shortish <laughs> role, though. I think she is a she lot of She turns it out. Yes. No, she's, like, frightening Honestly? and possessed and... Uh, holds your attention. It's like, this is, if anything, you just wanted like three or four more scenes from her, but she really turns it out in this movie. Honestly, in this year where I feel like there's so little coming out, a supporting actress, Dom, for Michelle Yeoh for this movie, she earns it. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a very, very fun performance. And I will say about these movies, I think the one thing I'm still struggling with and the thing that kind of makes you forget to look forward to these movies or the potential of these movies is that there is an X factor missing from Kenneth Branagh's performance. It's not that the it has it doesn't have enough character. Like he's got the good Belgian accent. The look of him is great. It's just lacking like a drollness or a, mm -hmm. you know, something signature and old fashioned that we love about Agatha Christie. And also, by the way, as a director, 
we still have the main fucking problems he brings to these movies, which is, can this man stop with the fucking close-ups and the fucking tilted camera? Every <laughs> goddamn shot. The beginning of this movie started, and I was like, did he just leave the fucking camera on the ground and go to lunch? <laughs> Why am I staring at people's noses? It's like you were looking for cocaine on Taylor Swift. (laughs) No, every shot is like, it's like pointed down at people's foreheads. It's like, it makes no sense. It also makes it look so cheap. Like you're, you're angling down on people's faces. So we don't see that there's no set behind them or something. You know what I mean? Like it's those moments that make the movie look cheaper than it is. I'm sure these are like somewhat pricey movies. It's in fucking Venice or appears to be in Venice. By the way, the best movie mm-hmm. ever set in Venice, Summertime by David Lean, starring uh, Catherine Hepburn. If you haven't seen that, great movie. I think that you're absolutely right on about Kenneth Branagh as Perot, because what made the Knives Out movies so interesting to people uh, and sort of reinvigorated uh, whodunit sort of sensibility for audiences, it's um, Daniel Craig's performance as Benoit Blanc. You know, it's always been, you know, seeing Columbo, uh, seeing Magnum P.I. You know, there's always, even Veronica Mars, there's, there's, there's always something to the performance that hooks you and lets you know who this person is, right? And I just feel like there's nothing really distinctive about Hercule Poirot in these films besides the fact that he is over it each film seems to have started with him wanting to get away from it all yeah and I'm right. like, in a james bondy way which we're always sick of that too when james bond's doing yeah. that yeah it doesn't seem like that much happened on death in the nile <laughs> as compared to anything else for him to be like you know what i really got to get away from it all and i get that that is a character arc to get him to where you need him to be at the end of the film and sort of the impetus for Tina Fey's character even approaching him, but it feels very artificial. Yeah, completely. You're just like, let's get past this part. These movies aren't that long. You're wasting too much time on this, right? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, definitely his best one yet. De- uh, and by yeah. the way, the the Metacritic score, and of course Metacritic is where we go to look up movie scores, right, everybody? Um, is definitely... <laughs> it, it's the highest rated one. It's it's barely in the green. It's in the 60s. But mm. I, I I would, for a light entertainment that is, you know, not trying to win the Palm d'Or, I thought it was perfectly adorable. I was at the bookstore before I saw the film and truly overheard two people who worked there <laughs> discussing the film. They hadn't seen it yet, but mm-hmm. someone said, no, I heard Haunting in Venice is actually good. <laughs> That's the level of <laughs> at least the bar is set where it should have been because he because he cleared it. Honestly, kind of ace to start a film franchise and have one of them be abysmal, but make enough money <laughs> yes. to make a second one, which is campy and fun and people are excited to see it and then make a third one. That's actually pretty competent and good. Right. You know, it's a little like Twilight or something in that way. You know, like, oh, by the third one, it got a little good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's sort of what I would compare it to. Um, yeah. It uh, also, yeah, again, it's it, you don't feel like there are any wasted performances. Like in, in Murder on the Orient Express, it's like, we've drafted Judy Dench for this. Like, let her live in the abbey she belongs in or whatever. Like, Penelope Cruz? Like, what are you doing here? Honestly, I even teared up a little at the... Meet Me in St. Louis monologue. Oh, that was very, very cute. Yes. Yeah, that was well done. That Mm -hmm. felt like a piece of 
writing. Right, 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 right. Also, I love that it's an unexpected choice of an Agatha Christie adaptation. Like my my instinct would be, oh, he'll do Evil Under the Sun next. But I like how he's picking these like lesser moments and turning them into movies. That's, I mean, like Agatha Christie is so readable. Why we should be seeing different um, underseen titles in these in theaters. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got quite an episode this week. First of all, the icon, the legend, superstar Simone. Oh my gosh! I have to tell you, I think I've talked about this before. I have sometimes a short memory for Drag Race, or like you have to like show me the YouTube clip again to show me the slay someone did or whatever. Simone, one of the few people ever where I remember the first time I saw her when she was performing Pleasure Principle, and the Mm. gobsmacking hilarity and star power she brought to just that initial performance. I have never met her before. She's always around LA. I'm so excited to talk to her today. We're also going to play a game this week, Lewis. It's called Two Truths and a Liar. <laughs> and uh, go ahead. Meaning what? The liar is Hassan Minaj. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the two truths? Sounds like there weren't. Sounds like there wasn't one truth. <laughs> We're going to talk about the controversy surrounding Hassan Minaj's series, Patriot Act, some of his stand-up performances, and the... New Yorker article that uh, revealed it all. Also, Drake is getting in fights with Halle Berry, and I do not know why, but we're going to talk about that and album covers that may be a little bit more iconic than his cover for a song called Slime You Out. And I'm I'm sure you don't even want me to describe what that means. Yeah, I am uh, not confused about it, and I wasn't thinking (laughs) about it, so. (laughs) Anxious your boss might drop a comment when they see your 420 shenanigans or swimsuit selfies on Instagram? That one's for you, Lewis. Oh, yeah. I can't stop smoking marijuana. If you know one thing about me, <laughs> I have the most paranoid moments of my life on that shit. <laughs> Tune into this week's Work Appropriate, where host Anne Helen Peterson and guest and social media consultant Rachel Carton discuss the question, will social media cost me my job? New episodes of Work Appropriate drop every Wednesday. Make sure to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Last week, a story in The New Yorker exposed Hassan Minaj from making up several stories in his stand-up, which wouldn't really be a big deal if it didn't involve an anthrax scare or being almost assassinated by the Saudi government. (laughs) (laughs) Do we think this matters, or is this just comedians being comedians? I will say this. It does feel incredibly... I'm sorry, we don't have another word for lame yet. I'm just going to say lame. I'm sorry. (laughs) To complain that a comedian lied to you. You two is going to light you up. I know, I know, I know. But like, <laughs> to be like, I can't believe he would exaggerate when, of course you can believe that. When a comedian is on yeah. stage, you know, you know, it's not like you come away from a show afterwards being like, journalistically, I need to tell my friends what this person's life was like or whatever. It's like, no, you remember the jokes they told, etc. That said, it does feel incredibly telling that he would lie one repeatedly and to mm-hmm. lie involving members of his family. I'm just saying when this child of his grows up and has to tell has to like be asked about going to a hospital because of an <laughs> anthrax scare, is that person expected to lie on his dad uh, on their dad's behalf, you know? 
like to rope in the, your loved ones into the lie. That does seem a bit concerning. Reminds you a bit of James Fry, A Million Little Pieces, that <laughs> memoir that was completely fictionalized. And Oprah was um, a bit hurt. Duped. <laughs> she was duped. <laughs> I Speaking of poor feel Oprah. duped. <laughs> Honestly, classic episode. Classic yes. episode of Oprah. What you need to know about this, if you are not familiar with the story, is James Fry wrote a memoir called A Million Little Pieces, and it was about alcoholism. It was about you know being arrested. It was he he lived a life, okay. Right. And the book was about that and how he came back from the brink. And it was one of the. One of the first picks, I feel like, for, uh, or at least an early one, for Oprah's book club. Right, in the mid-2000s. So Oprah touted this book everywhere. You know, in the 2000s when Oprah had her book club, that shit was like, Jesus Christ, it's dying. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> <laughs> so it's like Giorgio Moroder remixing something over there? <laughs> There's always some, it was, ah. Uh, I live next to a hospital. Some bitch is always dying. <laughs> in the 2000s, it might not seem like anything now with a Oprah's book club sticker on a book or, you know, Reese's book club, but Oprah started the celebrity book club shit. If Oprah had her stamp of approval on a book, bitches were buying it. It was like the only book in existence for certain people. Yes, yes. correct. When you, especially as, as people who worked at bookstores. Oh, please. The, That's what they would come in demanding. Absolutely. Yes. Where is it? The, and, yes. And the entire and also like, my the latte. Entire front, yes. <laughs> the entire front display would be nothing but that fucking book. Absolutely. Right. It was because yeah. like because then people would have their own book clubs and that would give them an impetus to get it and they would be discussing it. You know? It was mm-hmm. almost like pyramid scheme level. Like Oprah would just say <laughs> something and then it would trickle down through the suburbs. <laughs> Oprah started an MLM? You're kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, she wrote hard for this book and for James Fry. And then when it turned out that he had fabricated many elements of his life, she, welcome to my parlor, said the spider to the fly. <laughs> um, <laughs> she invited him onto her show to drag him to hell. And also, man, is she intimidating in certain circumstances. I don't need to remind our listeners of when she told Lindsay Lohan to cut the bullshit. All I know is if I were Lindsay Lohan, I would be cutting the bullshit. That's all I know. Oprah has a power that I can only describe as speech team. You know, like when like... Like every word matters, and you're going to listen to me, listen to it come out of my mouth, and you will be inspired by it. But if you come too close, mm. you will be terrified by it too. Yeah, it's like the entire Kiki Palmer, Angela Bassett scene at the end of Aquila and the Bee. Yes, precisely. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, no, here's the thing: I, it, when it comes to whether comedians should be truthful about everything that happens to them, or how truthful they need to be, whatever, I have to say, I can't think of too many instances where. I've watched a comedian and they've told a far-fetched story and then I've even thought about it for two seconds afterwards or minded whether or not mm-hmm. it was real. So in a way, I can't in good faith be like, they shouldn't say exaggerated things or whatever because I just don't know that viewers care or it's that important. I think it's just a matter of if you malign somebody or if you, again, are dragging people into the lie who then would have to back it up on their own accord, namely your family members. That's the part that I find very strange. 
Listen, if you are writing a book, a memoir about someone in your family who's dead, say whatever the fuck you want about them. Uh, please. Yeah. You know, they can't fact check it. Yeah. But I feel like involving the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> involving the Saudi government with a timeline that completely does not mash up. And it's also the it involves the death of a prominent journalist who a lot of people cared about. Right. Uh, and that There's was a that. pretty big news story. If you say you were sitting with the sultan, you need to be sitting with the sultan, okay? <laughs> like, you can't be like, if it happened months before, you then can't just say, well, I mashed up the timelines so that it would seem like that happened at the same time, which is interesting because if you made a film later, like a biopic about Hassan Minaj's life, and you did that, mm. some people might point out the inconsistencies, but you get much more creative license when you're making a film that's fictionalized, a fictionalized depiction of someone's life, right? I think right. what happens when you're doing stand-up or you're doing a show like The Patriot Act and you've been presented as this person who presents the news and your reactions to it, there is no understanding that things in the story might be fake or right. might have been stretched for dramatic effect. There's even a notice like that before biopics, right? If there was a sort of disclaimer that some things were stretched for story purposes, then that might make a bit more sense. But there isn't really that. And so that, I think, is where people are sort of angry when it comes to that because comedians in general, I think generally if you're going to see stand-up and a comedian is making a joke, I, I take most jokes with a grain of salt. Yeah, right. You know, a joke about your breakup, something your girlfriend said, something your ex-boyfriend said, something your parents said to you. You can exaggerate that. Or if it was an uncle, you can make it your dad. You do whatever. You know, it's just comedy. I think that Hassan Minaj was in a different genre of comedy than that. Right, right, right. Also, one of the things he did was he blurred out a picture of a woman he used to date and fabricated a story about her, and then people traced it to her. And she, she in recounting this, said... She and he invited her to the show to watch this, and he thinks she Welcome thinks to he was my trying parlor. to humiliate her. Yes, right. <laughs> but she didn't go to the parlor. Yeah, <laughs> he tried to set her up. Right. I mean, like the nature of these lies, like the grandeur of them. I mean, bringing up yeah the Saudi situation, whatever. It does remind me of. I always say this: everybody in their life is entitled to meet one serious liar. You know, like you have a coworker or whatever, and it's just the kind of person where eventually you and nine other people have a meeting and compare notes and realize it doesn't add up. And where is this person coming from? And what's with all these unforced errors where they brought up all these crazy things? That is the level of lying I think is going on here. Mm. Yes, because there's 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 someone who tells a lie of convenience, and there's some people who just sort of can't you know help themselves with embellishing things. Um, I mean, listen, I feel like whenever you are telling a story, particularly at brunch, or you're telling it to your friends, you always got to put a little sauce on it. Oh, right. Well, you got to make it you know, You have to tell an interesting story. Mm -hmm. But then there's people who are truly 
a fucking mystery. I want to tell you this story about uh, my friend Ejim in New York. We had an afters at his place once. We left uh, the bar Paul's Casablanca. There was this funny moment where there was a limo outside of the bar. And the the guy who drove it offered to drive us to Brooklyn, to Ejim's apartment. And splitting it, we all paid about ten dollars each. Mm-hmm. So it was. So it was like, why do that? Why? So we were like, why get an Uber? We can just take the limo. Precisely. This girl, maybe a drag queen, maybe someone trans, not really sure. But this girl gets into the limo with us, and we all think that someone else in the limo knows. Them. Oh my God, this should be the next Brown on mystery. All right, this is so exciting. <laughs> they come to the afters and talking to everyone. And at a certain point, we all realize no one knows who this bitch is. <laughs> oh God. Then they ceremoniously get up and vanish from the apartment once Dang. they've been found out. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> After she gets into the charcuterie, she like moseys on out. <laughs> but it was really a situation of telling each person in the room separately that they knew a different person in the room. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm Iris' friend. Or, oh, I'm Egypt's friend. Like, oh, I'm their, per- I'm their friend. And all of us were, when, they, when, they, when she left, <laughs> we were all comparing notes like, who was that bitch? I thought you knew her. I thought you knew her. That. It's fun. I want to see the ensemble poster for this movie, and it's called Who Was That Bitch? And you're all, you have like looks askance all over the poster. Do you know where I think, if you want to look up um, comedians lying, I think where you need to check is their books. Because by Mm. the way, that's the point of celebrities or uh, comedians releasing books is they're telling wild stories about their past or, and, Mm. you know, adding jokes or whatever. That is where I feel like they have to embellish. I'm talking about, look, I don't, I don't want to make a formal accusation, but I'll just say the kind of book I'm referring to is books by Chelsea Handler. Are we sure? <laughs> She's got some wild story on some cruise ships and stuff. I just don't know if that was ever verified. You mean she didn't really go to Uganda? <laughs> Uganda be kidding me? With these lies. <laughs> Nobody better fact check my book. That's all oh, yeah. I got to say. I was going to say, it hasn't even That's come out yet. That's all I got so, to say. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's all I got to say. I will be, I will be Julie Chen answering <laughs> questions about her book and Les Moonves. Ira, did you make up this story about your childhood? That's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Let's move on to another I conversation. I want to talk about the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did she do that on this press tour? She Have has a book. Not Wait, seen I, this. I know that. Ju- first of all, she has a book called, but first... God. Which is unbelievable. First of all, <laughs> just to explain, Julie Chen on Big Brother often says, but first, while transitioning from one scene to another while narrating the show. She also apparently has fallen in with the Lord over the past couple of years, whatever that means. You know, it's a, it's been a tough time in the Moonves household. God comes into play. Anyway, the book is called But First God, which is so funny. She discusses on Good Morning America uh, with... Uh, Juju Chang, who, by the way, great reporter. Oh, yeah. Juju presses her. She is asking about the Les Moonves allegations and the fact that Julie brings them up in the book and talks about how 
uh, traumatizing it was to have to explain things to her son. And she explains that Julie Chen was a different woman. And Julie Chen Moonves is a woman of God who wants to help others. And, you know, she says, Julie Chen, people might have seen her as you know, a little vain, a little superficial, maybe gossiped a bit too much. But Julie Chen Moon Vess is a woman who cares about people. And truly, there's a moment where Juju asks about the less allegations. And almost like Whitney talking to Diane Sawyer, I kid you not, Julie Chen smiles, a little Joker smile, and says... That's not what we're here to talk about. Frightening. Love it. <laughs> That's not what we're here to talk about. Wow. Real um, journalisty spin, too, you know. <laughs> but if you want to ask about that, and then she gives some canned answer. Which is interesting she, because she, from time to time, Julie Chen will surprise you with a, I don't know, I don't want to say candid answer, but like she'll get into it. She'll like trash, you know. Um, contestants on Big Brother in terms of what gameplay they've done or something. She's not always like entirely objective. That said, when it comes to this I topic, mean, she she's did, been particularly cagey. I mean, she did just call Bowie Jane on this season a uh, an NPC, a non-playable character. Which, by <laughs> the way, like, Bowie Jane, get in the game. By the way, NPC is now something we just call people in regular life. Like I'll, I have friends in San Francisco who are always like, oh, we're not going to their place. Those people are NPCs. And I just want to say, that is such a fucking rude insult. It is basically <laughs> saying these people have no reason to exist. <laughs> like, it's almost too nasty for me, and I would basically say that kind of thing about other people. Almost? Who did, what did you say last week about? Someone brought it up in the YouTube comments, but they were like, wow, way harsh, Lewis. <laughs> Could have been anything. That might, but that I actually was my favorite things is when um, you're really angry about something and you have just an aside where you're like, well, people who do that are fucking losers. <laughs> oh, that's right. I remember what I was saying. Pining what losers on the internet do. Pining! But to which I would say, I also am on the internet. I am a piner myself. I don't mean to say I, I'm not among the community. I don't do it as well as some of them do. That said. I'm a Chris Piner. Oh, I see. Remember him? I did enjoy him from time to time. I guess Honestly, he's still around. Suramov, who's an actress on uh, Most Wanted on CBS. I hope I'm getting your name right, Shanta. Um, I love you. Uh, she tweeted, at Disney today, my girlfriend was making fun of the guy picketing in front of us in white saddle shoes and khaki capris. And lo and behold, later we realized it's Chris Pine. Wow. Wait, wait so describe that outfit again. White saddle shoes and khaki capris. Wow. He was he was on holiday that day. Jesus. With a tucked in blue dress shirt. Wow. Do you know what just came to mind? The way people dressed in heaven in the movie What Dreams May Come. That is what popped to mind. <laughs> Maybe I have a condition. Why is... would I think of that? <laughs> Actually, Chris Pine is an actor that I would love to follow around for three years. Yes, Sure. Um, I, yeah. you know what though? I, okay. I hate when people get the Chris's confused. I literally was about to say he was so good in the Ghostbusters reboot. That was Chris Hemsworth. That's my favorite Chris Hemsworth mm. performance. Yeah. Remember when he was doing comedy and not starring in Black Hat? Right. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Black Hat. Make we did Chris, that to Viola make, Davis. Remember that? Yes. 
truly the worst crime Michael Mann has ever committed. <laughs> and I love Michael Mann. He has a new movie now, but is that like his last movie? Yeah, I think so. I love Michael Mann, and but but Black Hat was an anomaly. Yeah, too long. Uh, not interesting enough. Anyway, actually, not as bad as his worst film, which I would say is Public Enemies. That oh. Johnny Depp monstrosity. They shot that all around my hometown. Literally, you'll go to like Joliet or whatever, be like, "Oh, that's another scene where they shot Public Enemies." I'm like, "Can we stop bringing up this like four on Rotten, forty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes ass movie?" <laughs> the I amount of we weird things this- we let Marion Cotillard do after she won an Oscar. <laughs> Very strange. I think we probably brought this up on the show, but as I. As I said in an interview with someone recently, um, we've done almost 300 episodes of this fucking show. I don't uh-huh. know what the fuck we've talked about. Right? No, please. And they'll keep coming up again. We're yeah. still Alice over here, honey. We don't know what topics have, have gone through our heads. But that was back when um, – but they definitely shot it when we were in college, when we yes. were in undergrad. And the only thing I remember about Public Enemies is that I met this guy at Roscoe's and I went home with him. And – they were shooting public enemies outside of his apartment. This was like, so you're saying this was in the city of Chicago? Yeah, Think, in Lincoln Park. Bizarre. They're like, we must get Wrigleyville in the background, otherwise this movie <laughs> won't work. Anyway, Hassan Minaj. Uh, Weird. Liar. Yeah. <laughs> liar is such what? a funny word. But you know what? I lie too. We all lie. I want to say he's directing a new movie. He is. That movie, Ferrari, that's coming out soon. Adam Driver looks good in it. Remember the movie Annette? We put Adam Driver in that. <laughs> With Marion Cotillard. <laughs> she, she, she really does anything, okay? Right. She will do anything except for believe that those planes <laughs> hit those towers. She can act, but not that well. <laughs> I think Adam Driver actually is going to go down as one of our best actors of this current generation. He makes very good choices. And yeah. even when he makes mainstream blockbuster choices, they're not embarrassing. Kylo Ren, not not a wholly embarrassing endeavor. Right, 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 right. I mean, I love my favorite Adam Driver movie is the movie Patterson, which I feel like people have totally forgotten about the Jim Jarmusch movie. So good in that. I thought that was Wait. such an impressive performance. Were people upset about the blackface? You know, him portraying Sister Patterson, yeah. um, New York's mother? <laughs> you know what? Those are actually unrelated. <laughs> he was I not doing that in that great. movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think he would be great playing New York's mother. This happens all the time, by the way. Two, 2010's blackface movie, you know. It's crazy that people have forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we've said a lot about Hassan Minaj. Yeah, so, right. Woo! <laughs> so well, we're back. We'll be joined by a truth teller, Simone. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. 
every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Our gorgeous guest today has descended from the drag heavens to be here with us, and we are thrilled to have her. A drag race champion, a model, a fashion icon, a founding member of the House of Avalon. Keep it, listeners. Please bow down today before the ebony enchantress herself, Simone. Hey, bitch. What's going on? Why wasn't Ebony Enchantress a Saturday morning cartoon I grew up with? Why? (laughs) Why? It was really? No, I wish it were. Oh, okay. Well, it was, if you think about it. If you think about it real nice and tight, it was. It was. (laughs) I mean, honestly, watching you from Drag Race to now Avalon TV, I just feel like... We need a Simone animated series. Either you're, either you're, either you are fighting crime, or it's sort of a gem in the hologram situation, Ooh. or whatever. I I would want to watch it. Very '80s style. I feel like you could mix that into Avalon TV, which is so fun to me because it's you know your new show on Wow, yes. and yes. it is you know the whole house of Avalon gathered together, and it really feels <laughs> sort of like. Nickelodeon Roundhouse or something oh. or all that vibes. There's just different sketches and moments and yes. reality mixed into it. How did this come about? Well, we, well, we've always been those divas. We were like, you know, I feel like we should be on TV. You know, we're just crazy. You know what I mean? And everyone should be able to experience this. And we all of us have our own kind of love and genres of television that we love. And so this was like our way of being like, hey, we want to exploit television, darling. And so WOW came to us, it was uh, after the win, and they started just being like, hey, we want to film you guys. And then it started with them just filming us. And then we were kind of like, hey, we want to 
kind of infuse our real life, but also do all the things that we love about television. So we have sketches. We have a little bit of a talk show moment in there starring me. It's called you. <laughs> I'm the host, darling. Um, it is on tonight with Simone. And we have, uh, we did, we do a kind of a, uh, our own version of, we call it drag ass, darling. So we're all in, all in, uh, accoutrements and we do, um, fun, fun little, uh, what, I can't tell you, you know, you have to watch it. <laughs> but we do fun little, um, challenges that are nice and nice and fun. And this is, it's just an amalgamation of everything that we love about television, you know? So it, it just kind of came from us being followed by the by the TV and the production. And then we were like, let's just do more. Why can't, why not do more? And it just kind of all came together like that. I think something that's yeah. awesome about this is it just says something about your relationships with these people. Like I'm learning a lot about how you guys communicate yeah. and what you guys are into and why you guys inspire each other. <laughs> is there something about these relationships that you really want broadcasted? Like what do you want people to take away from seeing all you guys working together? Ooh. I don't know. I think we're kind of in a very interesting time in, in the world. And I think all we just wanted was just everyone to have fun with us. You know, we, um, we, we love each other deeply and we've been as how the core five of us have been around for 10 years. All of us have been together 10, 10 with me and then a little bit more with, um, everyone else but we just wanted to give some levity some light some love and a laughter to everyone and i think we just want everyone to have fun with us like we have fun and we just wanted everyone to see that and see what a family a chosen family is like you know and um i don't know i'm just excited for everyone to just see what we do behind closed doors that one sees us party and all those types of things but you know we are a real family and we, there's ups there's downs but um, it's all fun. It's all fun, and we and it's deep, real love. So I'm just excited for everyone to see that in the light. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like even though yeah. I moved to New York from LA, I see you all the damn uh, time, girl. You are everywhere, <laughs> and I always and I'm always yeah. seeing you at the Boom Boom Room. <laughs> Baby, let me tell you something. I love the Boom Boom. I like me some Boom Boom. Okay, and every time every, I tell everybody, every time I come to New York, I get in trouble. Because I'd be going mm. over there, and it's the boom room, and then we go to the Hell's Kitchen, then we go down, then we go over there to Brooklyn. It's just too much. We be doing too much. <laughs> but I, I love New York. New York is, there's a different type of energy than there is to L.A. You know, L.A. is more chill, more relaxed. But when you go over there to New York, baby, you can find any, any and everything you want. And I'll be doing, I'll be trying to find it, child. <laughs> I'll be trying to find every bit of I it. I do have to say, I would normally not defame LA this way, but I feel like when you go out in New York mm -hmm. at night, you can't make a bad decision. Like everything has you a can't. vibe. You know what I mean? Whereas LA yes. loves being vibeless. That's just the truth of the matter. Yeah, vibeless. And we say, I, I love you, LA. I live here. This is my home now. But you can go to New York and you can catch whatever you want. I would. Well, I bet maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Within reason, yes. Yeah. Within reason. I well, caught I mean, it. You, you caught it. The clinic's right up the street on 7th <laughs> Avenue. You know, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I love. I love it. It's just so fun. And you can, and I have, I've cultivated a group of good friends there. And, um, and anytime I go over there, I can call them up, be like, hey, this, I'm here for an extra amount of time. Anytime they come here, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's just different, but it's really fun. 
They live there, though. Would never die. <laughs> I could never live there. Well, speaking I of you, say, I'm living in LA. <laughs> speaking of you visiting New York, it's usually yeah. for fashion events. And what I find so mm. interesting is, you know, you came on the show um, and you had yes. all these iconic looks. And now we see, you know, you work with um, Marco, who is in House yes. of Avalon with you. And I want to know yeah. about you working within fashion, but also Mm. coming from, you know, a house um, where you can have pieces created for you. Do you like playing (laughs) in other like labels and fashion or do you prefer to, you know, to wear uh, custom pieces that are for you? Like what's Mm. your relationship with the fashion world as it's developing since you've won? Oh my God. I love, I love it all. I love it all. I love being able to wear other people's art. I think that's really fun. And like finding your own personality in it, you know, like you, they, everyone has a vision of when they make something, but it's fun to take what they have created and be like, Oh, how do I make it small? Dollar? How do I get, how to put my own little spin on it? But you know, I also love a custom moment. Cause you know, it's all, I, I, I love being like, Hey, I have this idea. And then I'll work with Marco and uh, with Grant um, and be like, how, and then they'll put their spin on it and be like, hey, we could, you should do this and you should put this on it. It's just really fun to be collaborative in that way. But um, I love it all. I, I think it's all very fun. And it's all, you know, listen, I'm like you said, I'm from Arkansas. So being able to watch it as when I was growing up and getting into drag and being like, this is kind of what I want to do with my drag. And then you snap your fingers. I won. Ah! <laughs> and then they all want. And then they're all asking me to come to their shows and see it and, and wear their stuff. It's very, it's humbling in a way. And um, I love it. And, and, and getting to know these people and, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a dream come true and being able to cultivate those relationships and keep them going and, you know, grow and be, still being inspired and then growing with myself. It's all very fun. It's all fun. And I think it's something that, I only dreamed of, and now I get to do it. And now all of us, hopefully in the future, we get to do it too. <laughs> this is a question I have for uh, all Drag Race alums, but after the show, yeah. do you like? Do you miss competing? And by that, I mean like, I say this as a competitive person. Like if I feel like competition uh-huh. brings something out of me that usually is a good thing. You know, like, oh, I really uh-huh. brought it, et cetera. Gonna, you know, uh, but- I was going to say, does it bring- Bring out the dark side. Uh, certainly, yes. Oh, oh, I've been confronted a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Don't play a game with Lewis. Yeah, okay. Right. Do not play a game with Lewis. No. <laughs> Scrabble ends poorly for me often. But, um, but I feel like, you know, like the, the interesting thing about Drag Race is that drag was never like that much of a formal competition before. And then on the show, yeah. it, it gave you reason to sort of be a, like tenacious in a different way with the art form. And when you're not on the yeah. show, do you ever miss that? No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't. Um, going into it, it was a very different mindset for me. Like, usually, I I did it. I don't know. Drag kit for me came from just a need to express myself. It wasn't like a like something I need to put. Like my drag wasn't something I need to put against someone mm. else necessarily. So going into it, like I had to be like, oh shit. There's how many of us were there? There were thirteen of us, I believe. So like, oh shit, like gotta get it together sis this is a competition so like it that part of it wasn't necessarily something i miss but the camaraderie i did love i did love and then of course winning and those four challenges that was really fun too but you know 
<laughs> Such an amazing but, season. This, I mean, even a, a, even a show that season. rarely has a bad season. I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing yeah, season. Truly. Mm-hmm. And it, I think also, like, at the time, you know, like, it was, COVID was happening, and people were at home, and we were we were filming it, and then, like, we were coming on the tail end of everything. So, like, it was, it's just, I think that whole season's for all of us. I sometimes just talk to the girls, I was like, we were very lucky, in a way. Lucky 13. <laughs> <laughs> to, like, get what we had at the time. It's just a very special season, I think. And something we won't, I won't say won't get again, but it just, it's, it's just, the world was just in a very different place. Mm-hmm. And the we, we went on and we had a very unique experience. So like, I think it translated on screen as well for the good and the bad, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't necessarily miss the competition aspect of it, but I do miss, <laughs> Like getting to see Rue every every other day, I do miss that. <laughs> hey, Ma. <laughs> yes, Rue listens to us every week. She'll she will de- she will definitely hear this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, my question about the show yeah. also is, you know, when you come up with these custom pieces, that obviously you come in and you have pieces built for each competition, et cetera. Um, What is it like when you are competing and you're getting the feeling that maybe I lost this week or maybe I need to step it up (laughs) the next week, but I already have my piece or whatever I'm going to be wearing for this competition. So it's not like I can get something new next week. Like, (laughs) like, like, Like you're sort of set. (laughs) <laughs> you're kind of it's kind of like um no this is what i brought this is what i have to say <laughs> but like you know i i'm gonna be real honest on this podcast because mm. you know I, I gotta give y'all the real take when i went into there i said you know what i don't know what the competitions are gonna be i don't know what the challenges are gonna be but i know i'm gonna look stunning bitch <laughs> <laughs> they can't say they i know i'm gonna stump that runway so when i had those moments of you know, doubt, or when I knew that I was like, I didn't do that great this week. I was like, I can at least say I'm going to go in here and look, I'm going to look really fucking good, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's hard because like, when you do it, the challenges are the challenges and they're, you know, like you do a pageant and that's most of your score, you know, for the weeks. So like, no matter how good you look, how did you do in the challenge? So it's Mm -hmm. not something you can necessarily like, fall back on and be mm-hmm. like, oh, this is going to get me out of it today. Because, darling, if you weren't funny, if you weren't hitting the mark, if you weren't hitting the dance moves, you're going to be on the lower end. You know what I mean? But you'll look good. The cameras will pick it up. You look the sparkle and shine, darling. You look great. But you didn't hit the mark this week. So it, it's it's nice to know that aspect of it. But it's like you, you still have to bring it every week. You still have to be like on, you know. Uh- they said, we're looking for the star, darling. <laughs> also, you were one of the queens where from the jump, you were immediately hilarious. At the top of the podcast, I was talking about how I, I remember the moment I first saw you when you did The Pleasure Principle. And the, the, what you yes. did during the performance was so funny. I was with all my friends who were just like screaming. And my question is, who did, who did before you went on the show or like, I, I understand you've been watching Drag Race since you were like 15 or 16. Who did yeah. you find funny? Who were the people that you were like, oh, yeah, that's those are my people. Those are the funny people. Oh my god, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. That's a great question. Um, okay, so you know, I grew up watching someone that I always like go back to. Um, 
RuPaul, I always think is very funny. Still, still is. Like, RuPaul's I, like, hilarious. Yes. Still yeah. is very funny. But, um, Tyler, <laughs> I always go back to the men and the men and wigs. <laughs> and, uh, Tyler Perry is a very big one for me because it was like growing up, it was like, uh, he was making fun of like the ridiculousness and like growing up to be how it is to be grow up and be black. And I took it as a way, like, I mean, he's not of our family, the LGBTQ, but, um, I always took it of like, what is it like to be like a black gay kid looking at black culture and like poking fun at it? And so he, to me, is a very, very big inspiration. And like, of course, he had Medea who was in drag. So like, I don't know, those two people really like the ridiculousness of it all. And like, I looked at RuPaul, like he was a black kid who like just grew up having to his own beat of his own drum and like making fun of all the everything everything, all of it. And like opening a di- up a different avenue to look at other people and like study them. So like those were the big two for me. And like um, finding the funniness of it all. Cause you know, mostly me, I'm, I'm a drama girl. Yeah. So like I'll watch, I watch my, my, um, my dramedies and I'll find the humor in that. But um, those are my big two, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, speaking of even (laughs) the culture that you're consuming, I feel like one of my favorite looks, what was it, the BAPS thing? Uh, Yes. And I I think that, uh, and you know, I think back to that film, and that was a film that I loved watching so much as a kid, too. Uh, So, like, what sort of, um, what films and things, like, did you watch then that culturally, like, you you, you love and have inspired you, like, like that, that you've Ooh. been very excited to replicate in drag. And what oh ones do you feel I, like uh, you still haven't been able to do? Wow, that's a great question. Um, Baths, of course, was on the mood board. Um, my favorite movie of all time, people, I don't know if this is going to be like a gag or anything, but like my favorite movie of all time is Hocus Pocus. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Queens like that one. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Queens yeah. love. Queens love. My second grade self just dies over it. But um, I would love to, I would, <laughs> I would love to do a sickening Winifred. It gets done every year, but I would love, that's my, she's my favorite. I love it. I love it. But um, I love, I did uh, uh, a different world with me. Oh. Like she was a big mm. inspiration for me. Like that voice. Mm. I love. Can that show yes. come back in a huge <laughs> like, way? Just, I'm sorry. She is oh, so, Jasmine Guy is so funny. So, yes. And looks funny. the same. Yes. And I watched mm-hmm. And looks the same. I've watched interviews of her. She's like, we didn't know that that was, we thought it was going to be late. We didn't know it was going to be anything. And like, it's, I was watching it like during the pandemic and being like, this was so funny. Like, I can't believe my Saturday morning cartoons, if you will. That was my Saturday morning watch. <laughs> I loved it. I love. And um, what else did I watch? Oh my God. I watched so many things. Soap operas was a huge thing mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I loved watching the, because to me, like it's, a total polarization of the drama. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it's ridiculousness. Like, those things are not happening. So, like, I loved watching soaps and being, like, in the drama world in that way. So, like, all those things, you know, I would love to do a soap. I would love to go on as, like, even a drag queen, just being on there, I would love. Mm-hmm. Just, like, have an episode. Honestly. <laughs> that would be so fun. I feel like I would love to see, like, sort of a drag-inspired soap opera, if only because I feel like the whole point of soap operas in, in general was, you know, the 
the glam, you know, you would you would be people, it would be people dressed up to the nines and evening gowns no, yes. and stuff, and that's when soaps <laughs> had the budget. But like, it was all about the exaggeration. Yeah. But culturally now, yes. the only place we really get that exaggeration is through drag, drag. which is now mm-hmm. on television more. And like that exaggeration, when you get even like those acting challenges and things on um, RuPaul. Mm-hmm. It's that that is what we used to get. Right. You know? So properties are yes. very muted now. Yes. They're broke. Yes. It's like, oh, what are they doing? What, what are they doing today? Not broke. <laughs> they're, they're, they're broke, baby. <laughs> not broke. <laughs> There's not glam, okay? There is right. there is not there is nine West. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That is funny, but you're not wrong. <laughs> you ain't wrong, child. And you ain't wrong. Because I remember I look at the little clips because you know how to do your little research, mm-hmm. you know. Because I started in the I started, I don't know why. I was in high school and I and I would come home and I would watch Charmed. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to the soap, you know, I would go to the soap channel. You know the soap channel. Soap you remember net. the soap channel? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they would come the soap net and you would have your soaps. I would watch them from six to eight. That was my soap opera uh Block and then I would go and watch whatever came on at on ABC, you know, or watch Scandal or some shit. But uh, it's not the same. You're right, and I would have to go back and watch and research and be like, "Bitch, bitch, they used to wear the clothes and the makeup and the hair, child. What happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now they straight ironing <laughs> and getting their stuff from the rainbow." Is there anybody from your season it's that you true. gained a really strong relationship with that you maybe were surprised to um, mm. have like a long term relationship with? Mm. I wouldn't say surprised because I'm a really good judge of character for the mm. most part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when love gets involved, we might have a little problem, but you know, for the <laughs> most part, I can I can pretty suss them out. Um, but I still I still I'm cool with Candy. That's mm. my girl. I love Candy. That's one of the people I um, her and her family. Uh, the muses, mm-hmm. uh, we are really cool. That's one of the people when they come, I go there, they take care of me. When they come here, we take care of them. Uh, Mick, of course, I uh, got Mick. I still, I'm cool uh, with her. One of a I kind. Her. Anytime I see her, it's always mm-hmm. a good time. One mm-hmm. of a kind, darling. One of a fucking gun. Are we allowed to cuss? Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, okay, good. Uh, one of a fucking kind. Uh, I call her, I, I still think of her as a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> I think it does, so that she's a rock star. And Denali, I talk to her every now and again. So those are the three. Um, I wouldn't say surprised. Uh, at, I wouldn't say surprised. But you know, and also after the show, you know, all of us get so busy, and we all do our own thing. So I don't really, I don't really. I love y'all, but we don't talk all the time. You know, yeah. They got my number too, so they can call me if they want to talk. <laughs> 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 Shit. Well, I feel bad. They can talk. You want to talk to me? You got my number, bitch. <laughs> They're on Instagram. You're in touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. bitch. We follow each other. We see what we doing. <laughs> Where do you even think, you know, drag should be going now? I think that, you know, you had mm. you were such a bright light and lightning rod on that Thank show. You. Uh, and then I think I love, you know, the Avalon TV. I love that, you know, you throw your own parties in L.A. Yes. Um, but, yes. W- like, w- is there something you still feel like is maybe missing for the community or has, like, been missing since COVID or something? Or just mm. what is going on now? Like, what is what is drag to you right now? And what, what else do you want to see from drag? Oh, my God. I think... 
I don't know, in a weird way, I think after the pandemic, drag kind of had like, it was kind of like shot of a cannon mm-hmm. in a way. I feel like we're all, I would love to see like a campaign, like a high elevated fashion campaign mm-hmm. for a drag queen. I don't think we've necessarily, I may be wrong, check me, bitch. I don't know. Somebody tell me, send me some. But I have not yet to see that mm. act necessarily, and I would love to be the f- I would love to be the first candidate. I'll shoot my shot <laughs> right now. But um, uh, I would love to see that. But you know, I think now after the pandemic, I think people were just in such a, a, a um, a f- they they wanted it. They wanted it because we saw brought such light and such fun. And like I was saying, our season we aired during it, and so I think people were just thirsty for that. And I think now we've kind of into have, have our tentacles and kind of everything. Now we were in fashion, we're in television. I would love to see us more in television. I think that would be really fun outside of competition, and uh, that would be really really fun. But I think now we've kind of have our tentacles in everything. Like we're on TV, we're on, we're we're going to shows, we're uh, on Broadway now. That would be more fun of that, you know. So I think now we've definitely come out of the shadows and so in cl- of clubs and things like that but i i would love to see us more i would love to see more of it i think that now we've we're in it i would love to see more of us in those spaces and those things and um no, no, we don't have to take over but it would be nice if we could have a little bit of a slice you know a little bit bigger of a slice you know what i'm saying <laughs> it, it does kill me that there's not three, we were talking at the beginning of the episode about the uh kenneth Branagh mysteries yeah. it's like why are there not all drag versions of some of these movies that are like in theaters uh, you know something. what i mean like mm-hmm. doesn't that make sense you know what i mean there's so many the, uh, it does make sense because we're all we're actresses in our own way the whole art form is like sort of an act so like why aren't there more of those things you're right why don't we have an all drag you know, outside, it's all how drag housewives. Yeah. Mm. Why don't we have an all drag, you know, top mm. model? You know what I'm saying? I guess drag race is that. But, you know, why don't we have an all drag soap mm-hmm. opera? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Why don't we have those things? Come on now. Let's give it's it It's just so to fitting. Us. Yeah. You see mm-hmm. what we can do? It's fitting. We lend ourselves to We're already theatrical, darling. Give us, we can read anything. We can become anything. Look at us. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, what else are your other performance aspirations? It's fun to see you do sketches and things on the show. Uh, but, yes. you know, uh, is, is that in your future? Are you, you know, you're going to, Train, train with um, Lee Strasberg. We're gonna get you. <laughs> we're gonna get you ready to, you know, be on the Great White Way or something like. What? What? What else do you want to do? I, you know, I, I love television, and I and it saved my life. Um, it was my escape. I would love to do more acting. I think I'm. I'm not saying I'm the best of it all, but I would just love to be kind of what. Um, kind of what though all those characters were to me and for somebody else and i would love to be on the screen and just like express and be another character and really delve into that um i that i think that's one thing that i i got to do bros which was really fun but um i i just i would love to do more of that and just explore different characters explore different worlds and kind of you know stretch myself in that way you know i that's kind of more of what I would love well, to do. Well, whatever's happening in the <laughs> pop culture future, you need to be a part of it because you were such a light yeah, on Drag exactly. Race and you are such a light in whatever you do. We are Thank so you. thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us today. 
Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so happy to be here. I have to tell you, I, I'm a big oh, fan. God. Oh, oh unfortunately, you, you just so went well. down in my estimation. I was like, Simone has such good taste until today. You did it to yourself, darling. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Well. So, well, you can't win them all, child. You can't win them all. <laughs> you can probably. Yeah, that's true. Historically, yeah. you have. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Drake has added another name to his list of celebrity beefs, and it's us. The two of us? Yeah. Yeah. After this podcast. Oh, I see. I see. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm gazing into the future uh, like Raven <laughs> Simone. Oh, right, right, right. But n- no, he's currently invoked the fury of Storm herself. Halle Berry is out for Drake's blood after he used a photo of her getting slimed for his new album cover, Slime You Out, his new single with SZA. And before we get into that, the era where we were just slime celebrities. We're talking like a Nickelodeon. Very, yes, I miss it. Oh, please. I, every, the Kids' Choice Awards, the Nick Takes Over Your School sweepstakes, where we thought like sliming someone was the ultimate victory. And then you would, I guess, high five your like fifth grade cohort, you know, we just love that shit. The show I, you can't do that on television, the origin story of Alanis Morissette. Yes. I definitely fucking applied for Nickelodeon takes over your school. Absolutely. Every fucking year. I thought, I I thought it would lead to it. huge things for my school. I was like, structural change <laughs> begins here. That's what I said. But the album cover, basically it has a photo of 
Halle Berry being slimed. And the reason she's upset is because he asked for her permission to use the photo. And then she said no. And he still used it anyway. So she was upset that he basically asked for no reason. Which, okay, that's fair. Right, right, right. I mean, it's also a a somewhat embarrassing photo, I guess. You know, she probably, that's probably not the photo she leads with, you know, if she's auditioning or something. (laughs) Not the headshot she uses. Listen, she better call it Tracy Chapman, okay? Because Tracy Chapman knows how to deal with a rapper who ignores (laughs) you. Yes, right. Remember when Nikki wanted that sample and then she tweeted out, about Tracy Chapman not allowing her to use the sample and Barb started attacking Tracy Chapman. Who are you? And also, Tracy Chapman is among the most, like, um, kind of timid people ever to exist in pop culture. The idea that Barb's are after her is crazy. I mean, it's just like, you know that was vicious. (laughs) Um, But this album cover, which is whatever... Uh, it's just a photo of Halle Berry being slimed. It's not really iconic. Uh, made me think, what are some of our favorite iconic album covers? And I want to take a guess, a conjecture, uh-huh. a hypothesis as to what yours is. Okay, well, I the album I'm thinking of right now, I will say this, it, it, can't, it comes from the time of me buying CDs. So, mm. so it's more modern than old, if that's anyhow. Okay. Oh, because I was thinking, you know, what fits Lewis? A woman contemplating a white woman. Oh, I know exactly where this is going. Barefoot, mm. sitting by a window. Yes, I know exactly you know the album. You, which album? Tapestry? Yes. <laughs> It is the coziest album cover ever. And she's, I mean, I've literally said about the album Tapestry that she should have called it Music to Pet a Cat to. And literally on the cover of that album, she There's is a touching cat. a cat. Yes. Um, love that album. I mean, it's like, it's it's nice. It's sort of typical of the time, you know, a, a mm-hmm. seemingly relaxed portrait of the artist. I mm-hmm. think the best album cover to come out in my CD buying lifetime and maybe ever is The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. Where it's etched into a desk, and it's the, it's the kind of desk it is, you know, like an old desk that's still being used in like um, a, a classroom, you know, maybe like not not a rich high school, and it's such an awesome portrait of her too. And also, you forget that that is the um, the theme of the album. Like there are these interludes of like students talking about themes and stuff, so it just fits it fits right in. Like you're you're it uh, kind of binds the novel of the album. Oh, I, I'll never forget that because I remember you used to be able to pick an album to listen to in our six, sixth grade math class. And I picked The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. It might have been sixth or seventh grade, but I picked The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And when the interludes started coming on and the kids realized that besides the two singles that they knew, the rest of the album was not as bumping as they liked this absolute bitch in my class camille told me imagine not being a bitch and being named camille by the way go ahead (laughs) ira maybe next time pick a different album wow in your face and that that's real origin story shit because i find you very obsessed with like a playlist at a party and you're like i will keep the guests moving so that kind of is how you became who you are 
That is, yeah. I I let I let them down. Yeah. Wow. So by the um, way, there's lots of great. I would say I don't know about danceable songs on the album, but like you know, uh, you got Final Hour and uh, everything, I mean, is everything, everything is everything. Yeah. yeah. I do. I every wish ghetto, I every city. That. That's one of my favorite songs <laughs> in that album. Yeah. Uh, of course it is. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I remembered more about that math class, but I want to know. But but I wish I remembered more about that math class, and I really did try to conjure up that teacher's name because I do recount that story in my um, book. But my teacher used to say this thing every morning. Uh, she would she would greet everyone and she would say good morning and have us like do it with her. Good morning. How are you? Uh, and something about, um, I hope you're having a great day. And if you're not, that's okay. Life's about rolling with the punches. Oh, and real? she made us recite that with her every day. Oh, rolling S- with the punches and they will come. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she's <laughs> with you on this journey. Come. Yeah. She, she did that with us every day. Wow. Uh, that reminds me of the morning announcements and I, okay, we'll talk about album covers, I swear, but the morning (laughs) announcements in high school, they would always end with, and eventually I, I did do these myself, but you had to be like a junior or senior to do them. But anyway, it would, they would always end with, um, have a great day or not. The choice is yours. I do. I disagree. (laughs) I disagree. It's like that part in the song Hold On by Wilson Phillips where where suddenly they say, you got yourself into your own mess. No, I didn't. What? <laughs> Stop blaming me. I thought this was like a peppy song. I'm, I'm loving that as one of your origin stories, though. I fucking the guess. Yeah, right. Make a great day or not. The choice is yours. What snotty. They used to blare because I went to a Jesuit school. And they were very, you know, they were very obsessed with uplift. There was a particular year where every morning I heard Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles played on the morning announcement. Oh, we do not want to hear that every day. I think that's my sleeper cell song. (laughs) That song plays. I pick up the nearest weapon and I slaughter everyone in the cafe. Yeah. No, no, no. Songs that are just the whole point is perkiness. I cannot. I cannot. Mm. You better be Carly Rae Jepsen. (laughs) No one else will do. You almost have to be Canadian. That I know. You know, I would say one of my favorite album covers that has stuck with me forever. And this is from like 2002. Uh, the Flaming Lipses, uh, Ooh, Yoshimi sure. Battles the Pink Robots. That's that from the last era gorgeous. of going to Best Buy and picking albums based on what has a cool album cover. And that is one of the great album covers of that time, certainly. Yeah, it's it's just gorgeous. I feel like that is an album cover that I would either get like a print of to put on my wall. Or it's definitely one of the ones where that's why you buy vinyls or why you buy CDs and you used to be, and you would like to display them. God, I really miss the CD, um, the, the little CD towers that we used to have. Oh, where please. You display your CD, either spinning around or you slide them in. We really used to have beautiful ways to display physical media. Oh, yeah. No, I, a CD tower. I mean, like, if you still have a CD tower, by the way, something in your stack is like Bonnie Raitt's greatest hits. That's like the, the <laughs> genre of person who has a CD tower. Um, or what I used to take to school. Did you ever have a CD binder? Oh, that's all I had. I don't know if yeah, I bought so, anything else in my life. 
So for the kids listening, a CD binder <laughs> was a, a huge-ass binder that you carried around multiple CDs in. And I think they usually carried about 30 or maybe 60 if you got a bigger one. But you would take the CD out and put it into a sleeve. And then you could also take out the booklet and stick it there too so you could see the art and remember where the CD was supposed to go when you took it out to use it. Just the fact that I used to carry around like 30 to 60 fucking CDs in my backpack every no, day. Like, like I'm a DJ or something. I would do this all <laughs> the time. No, here's my question. So when you had the CD booklet and or mm-hmm. the, the, the CD binder, would you put the CD behind the booklet or would you put it in front of the booklet in the case? I put it in front of the booklet. Interesting choice because I feel like the CD case is designed so that you can put the CD there and it won't scratch it. That said, Mm. there is something aesthetically pleasing about having the CD in front of the booklet because then you would know if it was taken out or not. Follow-up question. Were you an Adrian Monk like me and organized the booklets alphabetically? I didn't do alphabetically. I usually went by tape. Like, I remember... I was like, well, all the Madonna CDs have to come first. And then my second okay. favorite is whatever it was, Alanis Morissette or Carpenters or something. And then Liz Fair, and then Amy Mann. And then, yeah. Alphabetic was very stressful. Oh, yeah, that sucks. At some point, I lost that amount of precision and order in my life. <laughs> <laughs> As you all know. But at that point in my life, that is... It was, it was like a weird tick. And it also gave you something to do each weekend, though, too, because when you would buy a new album, then you would have to take the CDs out and put them in alphabetical order again because you had to place one in the center. Totally. No, also, yeah. my, my theory is that every CD binder, no matter what size it is, if it's like one with 12 in it, if it's one with 72, at the end of it, and, this, and this, these are all the ones still in existence, at the mm-hmm. end of all of them, is Red Hot Chili Peppers Californication. I absolutely know <laughs> that is in every CD binder. I absolutely know it. It was in mine. That's what I mean. Everybody owned yeah. that. Like they, they suddenly yeah. mattered to everybody after years of being like, you know, raunchy. Then suddenly they were like this respectable elder band who sat on the beach and contemplated things near the surf. And and everyone had everyone had design of a decade. Oh, of course. Runaway is still my favorite Janet Jackson song, which somebody was making yeah. fun of me for. I love that song. <laughs> Who made fun of you for liking that song? That's you a tell beautiful me. Song. I know. I love the cheesy video, too, where she's like, I'm dancing on the Eiffel Tower, too, or whatever. Well, but the reason why everyone had also, that's a gorgeous album cover. Yes. That that's just that's just her. It isn't it her in the white. Um, it's from the t- um, in, in the white dress shirt. Wait, it, oh, yes, yes, yes. I was going to say it's from the Love Will Never Do video, but it's not. Mm, but it looks like that. Yeah, yeah. It uh-huh. looks like that era of her. I, everyone had a everyone had design of a decade, by the way, because back in the era of CDs, a greatest hits album actually used to mean something. It right. meant that you did not have to go out and buy individual singles or buy multiple CDs to get the songs that you wanted, which were usually just the singles of an artist. So when you bought that, you had multiple songs from an artist on one CD, which are sort of sort of makes no fucking sense now. To right. Even even release one, I guess contractually, people still release them, and I like when people release. Um, Mariah is still doing it every anniversary for 
things and like they they add in remixes and other stuff but now that songs and albums are on streaming it sort of loses the luster that it yeah. had when you would go and buy someone's greatest hit cd because also pre-spotify and being able to make mixes if you want it to have like a fun party mix of madonna songs for instance you could just put on um, the Immaculate Collection, right? Instead right. of putting on one whole album with songs that people, except for fans, know. I also want to say, um, Mariah recently, it's the anniversary of Music Box, I think, and she put out a song mm. called "Working Hard" from that time and a remix. This it's this, so fucking good, so good. I I was I was shocked to hear it. I can't believe it didn't make the album. I also want to say um, about the Immaculate Collection that I think is still one of the smartest decisions Madonna ever made because one. All those songs are nearly classic, so you had to buy the album. Also, mm-hmm. it was filled with things that were only on movie soundtracks. or So it's like, oh, I can't get into the groove anywhere else. Or I don't want to mm-hmm. buy the Dick Tracy soundtrack, so I'll have to get Vogue here or whatever. And then the classics that would, of course, be on the album, like um, you know, Open Your Heart or uh, La Isla Bonita or Like a Virgin or whatever – a holiday lucky star she shortened or lengthened them or changed them in some way so if you liked those you would still maybe be prompted to buy the originals because they weren't the same mm-hmm. versions um that's one of the i think more interesting things she's ever done it is just very weird to remember the era where if you wanted to listen to a song and you did not have it right <laughs> You yeah. were not hearing that song. <laughs> no. <laughs> Songs were just around us all the time. You couldn't just pull them from the ether. Yeah. Speaking I'll, of Madonna, one of my favorite album covers is the uh, Like a Prayer album I cover. think that is her best album cover because it's sensual and also very unexpected from her. We hadn't seen her look mm-hmm. like that before. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was the uh, demarcation of a new era for sure. Other album covers I like. Aretha Franklin, Young Gifted in Black, just a beautiful album cover. Miles Davis, Bitches Oh, I was Bro. thinking about that one. Yeah. The, 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 the stain-colored uh, glass yes. behind her. That's just a beautiful album cover. Yeah. Uh, Miles Davis, Bitches Brew, fabulous. Uh, Liz Fair, mm-hmm. Exile in Guyville, which I believe is a Polaroid taken from a club in Chicago. And I, for many years, did not know. She's sort of making a, a gesture, like opening her mouth. It's black and white. In the bottom mm-hmm. part of the frame, you can see Liz Fair's nipple. And it's just on mm. the album cover. Like, you look at it and you're like, that's definitely a nipple. And I've never looked. It's crazy. Anyway, <laughs> might be gay. Uh, Little Kim's hardcore album cover. Fabulous. Where she's just perched on that rug and the champagne behind her. Very sexy album cover. Uh, you saying Young, Gifted, and Black reminded me of the album cover for Roberta Flack's first take. Oh, she's yes, playing yes, the yes. piano and she's got an afro. I think that's a gorgeous cover. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Rolling Stone did a list of the 100 best uh, album covers recently. The number one was The Velvet Underground and Nico, which, of course, is just the white um, background with the yellow Andy Warhol banana on it, which you could, of course, peel. It says peel, peel back and see on the cover. And I mm-hmm. guess Rolling Stone made that list. I know there wasn't no niggas on it. Uh, let me tell you something. We'll be getting into that momentarily. <laughs> um, <laughs> But Gen Z was complaining, like, it's just a banana. It's like, oh, my God. Wow. The internet now has to explain art to them. Oh, no. That was the banana. Okay? Yeah. That, right. like, this isn't bananas Shakita, and pajamas, Shakita, motherfucker. Yeah. Okay? Shakita, Shakita couldn't even get that banana. <laughs> she was booked. <laughs> the banana boat? 
<laughs> it was not on that. Deo, okay. go away. <laughs> it's just a banana. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get shit. Also, it's like, can you just wiki it? Can you just look up what, like, do you think it's just a banana? Do you think ever, do you think they would put it at the top of a list if it were just a banana? Moving on. Uh, Miguel Gorilla's most prized possession. Yes. Uh, Anyway, we'll get into Rolling Stone momentarily in the keep it section. Actually, let's just go to the keep it section. We'll be, we'll be back in a second with the next section of our podcast, Keep It, which is called Keep It. We're on the podcast. Keep it. We are back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Um, I have calmed down from when I was just amping up my Keep It seconds ago. I'm a more sedate version of myself. We'll start with Ira's Keep It. Ira, what is your Keep It this week? My Keep It this week goes to Chris Brown. I remember him. Yeah. Um, He dances. Yep. Something. Anyway, Chris Brown got upset by... That sounds like him. Comments. (laughs) Comments. <laughs> he raised a hand. <laughs> Moving um, on to the internet. Uh, he was upset at Tanache oh, for good. her comments about regretting working with him in 2015. What? What? What did he expect her to say? I and and above all, I loved working with Chris Brown the most. <laughs> and his response. Name five Tanache songs. Let me tell you something. I was very upset with him for dragging Tanache, but it did take me a few minutes to name five. <laughs> minutes? Wow, you really pledged your time. <laughs> I, can I love do this. Tanache. I love Tanache. Can you? Maybe not. Uh, I do feel as if Tanache has been locked on the WeHo Pride stage since about 2017. <laughs> Someone let her out. Uh, I I am a big Tanache fan, and I love her albums, and I love her current one. It's called BB Angel. Okay. BB slash Angel, and the E is a three. There's a lot going on. It's very Prince. (laughs) Yeah, Very Prince-coded. Yeah. (laughs) Latter-day Prince, yes. Right. But she is one of those artists where some of those song titles were blending together for me. I mean, obviously, two on. And obviously jealous with Nick Jonas. And uh, then I'm like, well, drop my kitty with Charlie XEX and cold sweat, Aquarius, um, all hands on deck. I've already named more than five. So, right. You're a scholar. I was upset with him for being a bitch, but a funny bitch. Right. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was at Mm. a party recently and Somebody heard I was really into pop culture, and they go, well, what do you think of Rihanna? I was like, what do I think of Rihanna? I was like, I can't even pick a favorite <laughs> Rihanna song or moment. Like, she, like I, I love Rihanna, whatever. I, I, I didn't understand the tone of what he was saying, if he was about to get into the Super Bowl performance or what. And then he goes, this guy goes, I don't know this person, by the way. He goes, well, what do you think? Don't you think she's a terrible role model? And I was like, a terrible role model? Like, what are you talking about? And he goes... Well, didn't she get back with, and I literally stopped him right there. I was like, you need to actually just stop talking to me. I was like, are there really <laughs> people out here thinking about Rihanna in that context still? Sorry, I haven't thought about Chris Brown in a long time, nor have I thought about this fucking dude. So uh, yeah. I was blown away. There's some sexist people <laughs> out there. Anyway. <laughs> I hear you like pop culture. What do you think of <laughs> Mean Girls? Yeah, I mean, I would have preferred that conversation. I, was, I can rank the cast members from that. 
Don't you think Tina Fey is a bad role model? (laughs) (laughs) I also... (laughs) I also have a side comment. It's not a full keep it, but I do want to say, I tweeted this too, that if you are the less hot partner of a celebrity that the internet loves... You might as well just go and kill yourself because <laughs> that's helpful. People are mean as hell about people's boyfriends and girlfriends. Oh, for no fucking reason. Uh, they, you know, like the internet recently found out who Ayo Adibri was dating, and you know, this this white comedian, and people were going in on him for no other reason that he is dating a celebrity that they like, and. Damn, he didn't expect all that. <laughs> it's like if you're already a celebrity, you don't want to log on to the internet, right? And see what people are saying. But now you can't even date a celebrity and log on. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that is tough. Um, uh, by the way, I love Iowa Debris. How has this person not been on Keep It yet? Anyway, I just sometimes complain yeah. about people who have not been on this show. The strike, girl. That's right. Oh, yeah, that. Wow, we're still in it. <laughs> I would love to work. Anyway. We had, honestly, I'm not going to say who because we're going to rebook them, but we had a guest booked for truly the week of the strike, a gifted actress who we love and we bring up on this show all the time. And I'm devastated. This strike has affected me personally now. Oh, okay. Right. No, I've been thinking of you throughout this entire experience, certainly. Thank you. Shall I get to my keep it? Yes. My keep it this week goes to Jan Wenner, co-founder of Rolling Stone magazine, which we just brought up. And also uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, except he is now no longer a part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's been kicked out of it. (laughs) He has this new book (laughs) called The Masters, where he interviews people he deems philosophers of rock and this extends over many decades he's obviously worked in the entertainment business a long long time interviews include bob dylan john lennon mick jagger pete townsend jerry garcia bono and bruce springsteen you may have noticed those philosophers of rock have something culturally in common uh it's a little bit white and when he was uh challenged about this he says that no women or black artists were quote-unquote articulate enough for him to interview for it. The word articulate is like, I, I would say like the textbook racist euphemism of all time. To hear yourself say the word articulate in this context is simply wretched. This person is a loser anyway. And then eventually he issued this lame apology claiming, I'm reading from Jezebel.com right now, claiming that the artist selections for the book were based on the impact on his world as opposed to the world uh, that's somehow even worse. Uh, you're putting together, you're this voice uh, in the history of rock and roll, and you find it personally important to put out a book that establishes only white artists matter to you. First of all, I have gotten into several times how the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is one of the most classically sexist institutions on the planet, how there are only two solo artists, two female solo artists uh, for the longest time who got it on their first year of eligibility, and that was Janis Joplin and Madonna. Um, Tina Turner only getting in as a solo artist now, need, need I say more? It's just so pathetic to me in retrospect to somebody whom a lot of rock music means a lot to me, how much it's just white guys touting other white guys, how it's white guys saying, these are the people who matter. These are the people I want to put on a poster in my room. These are the people I want to make monuments to. And then everybody else is sort of fighting for scraps, fighting to you know, have any space at all. And this person saying that he says that Joni Mitchell uh, was not a philosopher of rock, didn't mean anything to him. It's like, 
can't you fucking hear yourself? But of course, asking these people to hear themselves is, you know, of course they can't. I, I just, I, it's such a bummer and he is such a fucking loser and I'm so happy he's been purposefully minimized. I'm so happy that I have always pronounced his name as Jan. <laughs> Truly. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is also so, it's, it's so expected, right? Yeah. You know, there, there's something different about writing about people who meant something to you and writing a book called The Master. Yes, exactly. And you are the fucking co-founder of Rolling Stone. It's not Chuck Klosterman's Killing Yourself to Live where he's following around metal bands that meant something to him when he was growing up, right? Yeah. There's, there's no connection to his youth or to his upbringing. These are just, you know, these are the white dudes that I love. So I'm interviewing them. Right. Also, I mean, like, you put your finger on it. To be like, for him to claim, oh, these are just the people who matter to me, and then calling the book The Masters as if his personal taste equates nobility. And mm-hmm. the personal taste leaves out all these other people is so gross and and typical of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, frankly. Also, never mind that these masters and people that you're interviewing are people who have borrowed so much from black artists and you think that oh well they had to go to the dark continent uh, (laughs) and take back that music and then they were able to properly articulate it you know it's very it's very joseph conrad of him right Uh, also it's like you don't think bruce springsteen would be embarrassed to be in a collection of guys called the masters (laughs) and there's only white people and it's like you don't know these people at all as they always say when one person is hated another person comes into favor and this was a good week for drew barrymore (laughs) she quit she's like okay you guys were right yes we won't be putting the show on good for her i guess uh not me to throw in a third keeper today but i just want to also mention that when someone does something shitty and then you call on them to not do that thing anymore and to apologize and they do it You should fucking accept it and be glad that it happened. There were so many comments online from people saying, well, she just did it because of the backlash. Of course she did it because of the backlash. That's the point of backlash. (laughs) Right. It's it's galvanizing. What else do you you want from her? I guess I sort of really hate that on the internet when people do apologize for things, but people still want their pound of flesh. Mm -hmm. They just want to be angry. I think also in this case, People should also accept that, you know, not everybody has participated in a strike before or known the ramifications of doing certain actions in a strike. And so in that case, Mm. I'm not saying Drew Barrymore hasn't been famous since 1982. I'm just saying I am not surprised she was inexperienced and made bad decisions, but then also listened to people and eventually made the right one. So I'm not saying she doesn't deserve um, criticism or like we should forget it that it happened or whatever, but ultimately the right thing happened. So that is, I'm, I'm psyched about that. My scab week with Drew is a script that I'm working on. And it, you know, uh, <laughs> it's about the week that I wrote for the Drew Barrymore show. Right. You thought this would be your big break. Scabbing. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You were the only writer. Uh. <laughs> I'm actually cackling about the fact that people are calling for Dancing with the Stars to halt production uh, because it's a WGA show. But they do only have one WGA writer on the show. Uh, So I love being one writer. And you're like, 
you will stop the show because of me. Wow. And that's one guy who has to write the words Paso Doble so many times. <laughs> would you ever do Dancing with the Stars? Uh, would I? I do think there's a high concentration of people who get injured on that show. But uh, yeah, if I didn't have a lot to do and, you know, they stuck me with whatever, Derek Huff, I'm sure he's not involved anymore. Sure. Whatever Chmerkovsky Ch- <laughs> brother is still there. Yeah. Okay. They let men dance together. I'd want to dance with J-Lo. I'd want to be Richard Gere in Shall We Dance. <laughs> That's your request when you walk in? They're like, all right, we'll find that VHS and watch it, I guess. Isn't Alfred Woodard in that movie? You won't believe what Alfred Woodard's been in, okay? <laughs> you go through her filmography, you're like, whoa. Maybe maybe, maybe Marion Cotillard is the white... Alfred Woodard. <laughs> you know what? That's honestly giving her a little bit too much credit. Because Alfred That's fair. yeah. And give Alfred some Oscars. No kidding. She has one nomination for a movie nobody cares about called Cross Creek. No offense to our esteemed guest, Mary Steenburgen, who did that movie. But um, anyway. You know she remembers it because of her memory thing. That's Mary Lou Henner. Oh, Mary Steenburgen has the music. Yes. Mary Steenburgen, yes, yes. yes, went under the knife, came out with a crazy musical brain. Yes. You know, they should solve mysteries together. <laughs> Actually, t- Ted and Mary should solve mysteries together. I'd watch that show. Ted, Mary, and Mary Lou? I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, honestly, someone get... We have, we've already talked about that dumb honorary Oscar for Angela Bassett right. that she's getting next year. And I wish we could put a stop to it. <laughs> um, I get... Angela Bassett and Alfre Woodard in a film where they are both nominated for an Oscar and they win. Who was writing an Angela Bassett, Alfre Woodard film? I need to see it. It feels like that is how the show Ryan Murphy's Hollywood should have ended with Oscars for the (laughs) Angela Bassett, Alfre Woodard movie and not the Oscars for the random 1947 movie with Anna Mae Wong they created. (laughs) What a weird ass show. What a weird show. Maybe going for cool things? Who knows? Patty Lapone. Queen Latifah is Hattie McDaniel. Right. It was bound to happen, I guess. Yeah. All right. That's our show. So was it? Okay. <laughs> I feel like people have been saying we've been on a roll lately, and I don't know what we did this week. Yeah. All rolls stop eventually. You know, watch any boulder. It stops at some point. You know, we're our, keep it as like sissy fist is bolder. Okay. We we're rolled up and then once we get to that apex, we roll back down. Right. But it gives us something to work for. That's right. We build again. That's right. Also sissy fist yeah. is the way you said it. Sisyphus is how I would have pronounced it. But <laughs> Sissy Fist is the name of my new queer t shirt brand that I think we should all buy into. You haven't seen you haven't seen how he pushed that bolt. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it keeps falling down. The wrist strength on this bitch, he is doomed. He should have been reaching for those grapes. Right. He keeps like ca- that other bitch. Yeah. He keeps calling the boulder ma'am. Yeah. Ma'am, you just fell on me. We'll see you next week. All right. Thank you to Simone for being here.
Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.